0: Welcome to Data Bytes. I'm Susan Wong.
1: And I'm Jesse Czeczewski-K. Susan and I are two statisticians, and we want to bring statistics closer to you. We will touch on topics in big data, data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and the list may grow. In this episode, we talk about how data is, hmm, I mean, data are (laughs) personal for those in a rural Pennsylvania community.
0: Let's get started.
1: Most of us who work with data often face the challenge of how to clearly and completely display the results of an analysis or how to explore a data set before you begin the analysis. Many episodes ago, I think it was back maybe around episode 5, we discussed some of the shortcomings of pie charts, and one point that we emphasized was that the information often conveyed in a pie chart can often be better displayed with other visualization options.
0: Yeah, for example, we had noted that it is hard to accurately compare proportions in a pie chart. The difference between a slice that represents 35% of the whole versus 40% is not necessarily going to be obvious. A bar plot would be a much better option here. We are just much better at comparing heights. Yeah,
1: and as enjoyable as talking about pie charts is, that is not the topic of this segment, but <laughs> rather how people interpret and value different visualizations. A study was carried out by Professor Evan M. Peck from Bucknell University, along with two students, Sophia E. Ayuso and Omar L. Ettar, that explore this in a, a specific context. So their paper is called Data is Personal, attitudes and perceptions of data visualizations in rural Pennsylvania.
0: And Bucknell University is located in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. I looked this up and it's kind of in the exact geographic center of Pennsylvania. So I suppose the focus of the study on rural Pennsylvania is related to that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And um, they mentioned that their motivation for analyzing people who live in a rural setting is because this group is not generally well represented in the visualization literature.
0: So by visualization literature, do you mean that rural folks aren't typically showcased in a lot of data visualizations about Americans?
1: Um,
0: No, I think
1: what they're actually referring to is those who are studied um, in terms of how they actually perceive different types of visualizations.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that people study the perception of visualizations.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool, actually. And, um, and so the, the authors note some reasons why there might be differences. Like, why why would it matter if this particular group wasn't well represented? And so one potential factor is a difference in the access to devices, like cell phones, computers, etc., or access to reliable internet. So um, at least they suggest this may be an issue in a specific rural community, the, the specific rural community they study in central Pennsylvania where the declining coal industry has resulted in income and education gaps. Um, Also, rural communities may not have as many adult education programs available, you know, due perhaps in part to being rather isolated.
0: Okay, so they carry out a study to investigate how those in this rural central Pennsylvania community perceive data visualizations. What are some of the details of this study?
1: Well, so they they carry out 42 interviews in order to investigate what drives the attitudes and perceptions of those who live in rural America regarding data visualization. So the researchers account for different variables um, like education, political leanings, personal experiences as reported by those interviewed. And in particular, they focus on a, uh, and so this is in quotes now, a goal of capturing initial perceptions of data visualization.
0: How were the forty-two subjects selected?
1: Uh, they state that the subjects were um, from kind of three different groups. Um, one were um, staff members at a local university, such as um, maybe they're cashiers or line servers or um, kitchen prep workers or management. Um, some were employees at a local construction site, and some were just visitors of a local farmer's market. But they did not actually clearly explain how the particular people were were selected to participate. Uh, I, I suspect that they approached people in these different settings and asked, you know, just if they would be willing to participate in the study.
0: I see. So not random. Yeah. So that is at least how it seems. So that makes it difficult to know if these results might generalize beyond the 42 interviewees.
1: Yeah. And I mean, perhaps you talk about the problems with this sort of convenient sampling in your intro classes as well.
0: Yeah. But I suppose in a situation like this, there aren't a lot of options. Random sampling, wonderful as it may be from the perspective of study design, is really hard to do in some real world settings.
1: Yes, it's true. And um, well, so nonetheless, let's see what they found in this group of um of 42 individuals. So the researchers selected a set of 10 different data visualizations. So some um, were maps, some were kind of line charts or infographics, things like that. Um, And they were related to the impact of drugs in the US. So each participant was given the visualizations on 10 different sheets, so one visualization per sheet, and then they were told the following. So this is a quote now based on how useful they are to you, arrange the graphs from most useful to least useful." End quote. So interestingly, the researchers mentioned that they specifically used the word useful in the prompt because they found from pilot studies that this word useful got participants to invoke their values in the ordering of the visualizations.
0: That's good to know. I guess other options, such as clear or understandable, would have been suggestive of a particular way of viewing the graphic.
1: Yeah, and uh, and so they also had some follow-up questions based on the particular ordering. So, for, for example, if the maps were ranked differently, they would ask the um, the person why. And then the participants were informed about um, the sources of the data. So they, they did their rankings of the 10, um, maybe had some follow-up questions. And then the participants were informed about um, where those data actually came from and asked if they would like to change the rankings once they knew the sources. And um, And so after the rankings were complete, that's when they collected the demographic information about the
0: participants. I imagine these data were not easy to sort through and analyze. So what did they find and how did they find it? Yeah I, uh, yeah
1: so they, they did have a process going through the details of the interviews and they a- attempted to code the various responses in order to find themes. So I, I, that seemed like a, a nice way to do it because otherwise they just have you know a lot of responses from the, the participants so um, picking out themes seemed reasonable. And, um, and so, for example, they had the following um, what they called descriptors or codes associated with the visualizations. Things like um, colorful or confusing, clear, simple, relatable, attractive, informative, or cluttered.
0: Those seem like reasonable ways to describe graphics. Relatable stands out. I'm not sure I would have used that to describe a graphic, but I can see how that makes sense. And. Similarly, I wonder if relatability is also a quality that would be highly predictive of our teaching evaluation skills. <laughs> <laughs> yes, probably.
1: <laughs> Yeah, so they found that the participants were attracted actually to visualizations that they could relate to. So just as an example of what they mean, um, one of the visualizations was about drug overdoses from pain medication, and a a participant had mentioned that they had several friends die from drug overdoses. So that made that particular visualization more relatable for that
0: participant. So relatable suggests that there was some special relevance to the information contained in the visualization for that participant.
1: Yes, yeah. And uh, another example or two examples, um, so for two of the visualizations, they were maps. And some of the participants were more drawn to the ones that were relevant to where they either lived or used to live. And so here, here's a quote. They have a few quotes in their paper that are, are kind of interesting. So the quote is, um, these two maps are probably here because I like them less it's the whole country, it's so huge, you naturally look at your own state. It's too busy, I'm not that thrilled with those. And so then they have the characteristics, this particular participant was between 65 and 74 and was a high school graduate.
0: So this ties back to the theme of the paper, noted in the title, data is personal. And perhaps even when the individual looks at the state of Pennsylvania, they're thinking, oh, the plots might be highly reflective of the areas of denser population, so Pittsburgh and Philly, not me.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, that's right. Um, so apparently the infographics were the most polarizing. Some really liked them and others, well, really didn't. (laughs) So two comments I liked was um, that I just don't like the graph because it reminds me of something you would see in a magazine and not necessarily something you would see in a science article. So that was from an 18 to 24 year old college graduate. And the other (laughs) comment that I liked was, it's like the guy had access to pictures and he didn't know when to stop <laughs> so that was a 45 to 50 or 54 year old um postgraduate degree, with a postgraduate degree.
0: You know, I sometimes have that complaint too, the too many pictures when reading a student report. I mean, when you see so many different plots that look almost identical, (laughs) Right. but in all seriousness, you mentioned that the participants were given the opportunity to change how they rank the visualizations after learning about the sources of the data, so were there many changes?
1: actually um, most as in 25 of the 42 did not change their rankings one of the reasons provided by 12 participants um so or they were at least similar responses by the the 12 were that the sources were irrelevant or that all the sources were trustworthy but somehow but someone who did change their ranking commented For me, I don't trust things if I don't know where it comes from. So that was a 25 to 34-year-old college graduate.
0: Oh, that's so good. I think that's something we try to convey in our intro classes, too. Don't blindly trust what you're told, whether that be a data visualization or a conclusion from a scientific study. You really just need to know where the data or where the study came from.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and then there were the, the political responses. Here are two contrasting comments about some of the sources of the visualizations. So one comment was, I would never trust something from a drug company or Breitbart, and I would always trust something from the CDC or NIH. So this was a 75-plus-year-old PhD and identified as very liberal. And then the other one, in contrast, said, I don't trust the CDC. I believe they hide stuff. And this was from a 45 to 54-year-old bachelor's degree and identified as very conservative. So we've got folks on both sides of the spectrum here. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so overall, one of the major takeaways from the study, according to the researchers, was that the perceptions of the visualizations seem to be affected by personal experience. And uh, you know, hence the title, Data is Personal
0: you know now that come to think of it i actually think these results might hold true generally as well regardless of whether we're looking at pennsylvania or some other state or whether we're looking at folks from urban areas versus rural areas that would be a really interesting comparison study to see in the future
1: Thanks for listening to Databytes.
0: If you have any questions or suggestions or comments for us, please email us at databytes.podcast at gmail.com. That's Databytes with a Y.
1: And if you want to see the numerous articles that served as reference material for today's show, please visit our website at databytespodcast.github.io. Till next time.